welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. I think I remember you people. Good morning. It is good to see you. If this happens to be your first time, no, I really don't remember you. But um, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if this is your first week, I've been on a bit of a hiatus that this church generously gave me. And um, I, I want to say a few things to you before we get into God's Word this morning. Uh, I want to say thank you, first of all, to our other pastors, elders, our deacons who ensured your pastoral care over these last eight weeks. Yeah, absolutely. They have done an amazing job. And don't stop clapping because I want to add to that our staff who have been stellar in making sure no balls got dropped. Um, and to all of those men who filled this pulpit, whether they were uh, among our own uh, or from, from some other fellowship, some other church, some of those churches that we have helped along the way. You get to see a little something, hopefully, of the wider network of our impact uh, around the, the region, if not the world, through in, in individuals like Richard Pope and, and Joel Kurz and, and others. Uh, but the thing that encouraged me most about that, not only in their delivery, but in your reception of that delivery, uh, it really encouraged my heart. It reemphasized afresh. This is not a church driven by personality. This church is led ultimately by the Lord Jesus, and it is driven by the written Word of God. And your commitment to be here uh, is, has just been incredible. And I also want to thank you once again. It, it is a necessary thing often to do this thing called sabbatical. Uh, we explained a little bit of that before I left, but also know this doesn't happen in a lot of churches. And so I want to thank you guys. It's a sacrifice uh, it's an investment that you're making, not just in me, but in yourselves and, and in the whole body. And so the fact that you allowed Amy and I to take this time, um, hopefully uh, on October 15th, you'll be here. I'll kind of unpack for you a little bit of what happened over that eight-week period. What did I learn in Germany? What are some of those historical moments that kind of stick in my head? And how do, how do, we, how do we talk about what that means for us? living some 90 years after those historical events and in, in our own history. And where is God calling us to be? All of that kind of connected together. Um, my hope is you will believe not only that day, but in the years to come, uh, that this was a worthy investment. So uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you for continuing to give. We finished this year, the fiscal year, last Sunday, very, very strong I'm grateful to you. I am aware of inflation. Believe me, I got to buy bread and milk too. Uh, it's, it's tough out there right now. And so the fact that you continue to give generously is not lost on me. I'm very and deeply grateful for you. This is the first week of our new fiscal year. Uh, so may the Lord bless you as you keep that up. Uh, again, I'm looking forward to sharing more on October 15th, 4 p.m. Staff have asked me to remind you this is not the sort of event that you can just sort of waltz into. Uh, it is being planned, and they need to be able to make those plans. And so you need to sign up this week. If you don't know how, see a member of the staff out in the foyer. 
uh, after the service, but your meal is provided, child care is provided, there's really no reason for you not to be here. And, and I, again, I'll unpack for you a little bit of what happened over the last eight weeks, and I want us really to begin a discussion. So uh, let me give a couple things. A lot of times a, a guy in my line of work goes away for a few weeks, and he comes back, and he sort of, the church gets hit with all this big stuff. That's not going to happen, Okay. I promise you that. Number one, this whole idea of the pastor being a Moses figure that goes and gets some new version of the Ten Commandments and brings it down, you don't find that in the New Testament. I ain't Moses, okay? Uh, so I, this isn't me dictating, hey, here's what God said. and here, No, this is the beginning of a conversation with people just as full of the Holy Spirit as me about our collective future. It will not be centered around things like numbers or buildings. It is what kind of congregation does the Lord want us to be in order to be faithful in this next season of our life. And so uh, what I think Bonhoeffer's life can teach us about that, all of that we'll unpack. We'll take time for questions. Please do everything you can to try to be here. October 15th, 4 p.m. We're doing that early because I know some of you don't like to drive at night and it's starting to get dark a little earlier. And I Sorry, I didn't get any shorter winded while I was gone, so I, I, I don't know how to fix that, really. Um, but get signed up for that this week. We begin a new series today that segues, I think, quite naturally into uh, this discussion because over the next eight weeks, we're going to ask two questions. The first one is this, how do we remain faithful in the current environment? What is faithfulness? What is Christian faithfulness, according to the New Testament? What does that look like for a church that's kingdom-focused in 2023. And then the second question, though, is the first one I want to I answer. And that's going to take about the first four weeks beginning today. And it's this, what kind of disciples do we need to produce in order to make that difference? So that's the emphasis, all right? And so that's why we're calling this series different. Now, if you've been a follower of Jesus for, for any length of time, you probably know something of the scriptural teaching and injunction for us to be different, right? Doesn't the scripture call us as followers to be different from the world? You've read that, right? You're aware of that, right? Different. Uh, one of the terms is, is to be separated, that Christians are called to live separated lives. Don't be conformed to the world, Paul tells us in Romans. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't walk in the way of the fool, Proverbs tells us. My, one of my favorite is probably the old King James Version of 1 Peter 2 verse 9 that calls us, are you ready for this, a peculiar people. That really doesn't mean weird, okay? I think there are a lot of Christians that think that just means, yeah, you need to, people need to walk away from you thinking you're just strange. That's really not what it means. Peculiar just simply means there's something that stands out about you that's like makes people kind of squint, furrow their brow. Uh, there have been a number of suggestions of what all this means to be different, to live a separated life. Some people define that almost entirely in, in a negative sense. I grew up in a very conservative part of the country, borderline sort of fundamentalist kind of church background. And, and, and so living a separated life was defined almost exclusively by this list of things you were never supposed to do. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't hang out with Oh, you, okay, you've grown up in a similar environment, right? So it was all of that stuff, but, but then there was, nothing, like, there was nothing to accompany that. And so the way the world would look at that is like, wait a minute, 
At the end of the day, nothing was said about your disposition. Nothing was said about your aspirations. Nothing was said about the priorities you set for the life that God gave you. It was just this list of things you're not supposed to do. And, and people who are not Christian look at that and they go, wait a minute. So you end up with the same worries and fears that I do, the same concerns and fears that I do. You think about money the same way I do. You think about all, pretty much all of life the same way I do. The only difference is you can't drink. Isn't life easier to deal with with a beer? Like, come on, right? And so exclusively, like negatively, like, don't do this, and, and that's how you live a separated life. But when you possess the same aspirations as everybody else, there's ultimately no noticeable difference. So that's, that's the question we want to ask over these next few weeks. What does it mean to live a different kind of life? And the answer is it means several things, one of which is this. To live a life that is questionable. Questionable. Now, when you hear that word, it sounds bad, doesn't it? That's questionable. That person is questionable. That policy is questionable. I want to put a little different spin on that word for you this morning. Part of the point of Colossians 4 is that our lives ought to be lived in such a manner that it causes other people to go, who are you? Who are you? These are words written to Paul's spiritual grandchildren, by the way. Colossae is a little less than 10 years old at this point that the letter gets written. It's in the Lycus Valley, Western Anatolia, so modern-day Turkey. And best we can tell, uh, Paul's disciple Epaphras had gone and planted this church. How many of you have reached that season of life? Amy and I aren't there yet. We're probably a few years away where you've begun to realize, you know, being a parent was great. Being a grandparent's just awesome. Who's there? right? And, and so that's, that, that's true spiritually as well. About a year ago, I got an invitation up to Hagerstown, Hagerstown Church, one of the churches that we supported and, and, and that was planted several years ago, actually. But then now it's kind of, it, it, it's really doing well up there. Pastor Josh is doing an amazing work. And, and so they were sending out another of their own, and they invited me, representing our faith family, to come up and be a part of a sending service to send that young man to Baltimore. So Covenant has a kid and then a grandkid. Like, that's fun. That's fun physically. That's fun spiritually to watch. And so this was Paul's grandchildren. And so he's writing a letter in many ways to spiritual grandchildren, and he finds them in the middle of a doctrinal crisis. There's a heresy that is present in Colossae. Now, to those of you who are grandparents, there's, some really good, there's a really good example here. In, in how Paul deals with his spiritual grandchildren. It may help you out, especially in 2023. There's a heresy. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you, if you read the scholarship, there's just all raging debate about the nature of this heresy. Nobody really knows for sure exactly what it was. You know why? Because Paul doesn't spend an inordinate amount of time critiquing it, pulling it apart. What Paul does in Colossians is he just lifts up Jesus. He points people to Jesus. That's a good lesson for us to expose error when it's present. Don't spend a lot of time on what's false. Don't attack other religions. Don't excoriate people just because you don't agree with them. Do what Paul does in Colossians and lift up Jesus for who he really is because the really, not just the best, the only cure for falsehood is truth. 
So Paul gives them the truth, and he lifts up Jesus to this congregation to get them back on track. And by the time we get to chapter 4, he's demonstrating how those beliefs in Jesus ought to affect their lives. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, it ought to, it ought to affect you in profound ways. Alan Hirsch, an Australian uh, theologian, said this several years ago. He said, it is not enough to say one's prayers in private, maintain high personal morality, and then go to work to rebuild the Tower of Babel. What's he mean by that? Well, is it like you've got this prayer life, you've got this spiritual life, it's kind of segued and segregated from everything else, and then when you go out in the world, you, you react and behave pretty much in a way that's indistinguishable from anybody else. The substance and structure of the different aspects of our world need to be interrogated in the light of the unique achievements of Jesus. What does he mean by that? He means you need to be peculiar. That's what he means. He means you need to be different. And the point of this passage is those differences ought to cause others to question our life. So let me give you three challenges that rise out of this text, beginning with this one. Paul says we need to be vigilant. Look at verse 2. Continue steadfastly. Be vigilant. That's another way of putting it. In prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Be persistent. Right? Be a person of constant prayer. Now, some of that's going to be scheduled. My prayer time is first thing in the morning. Uh, but I pray throughout the day. And, and, and so it, it's gonna, you're going to live in the spirit of prayer. That's what he's talking about. When it comes time, you bow your head, you ask. How many of you maybe have developed this habit that when you, when you hear a siren and you see an ambulance, you, you, just, you start to pray for the people in it? Right now, I've had the honor of chaplaining the fire department here for the last five years, and I've started doing that for our first responders. Every time I hear that alarm go off, when I first moved here, y'all know who lives in town. You know that siren that goes off at 3 a.m. It's just annoying, is right. And it used to annoy me. Now, and then I started realizing, you know, the the guys that actually and the gals that actually have to get up when that thing goes off, they're pretty annoyed too. And, and so I started praying. Like, it, like that's just one example of something that happens and you go, okay, I, I need to talk to the Lord. I need, I need to ask him to, to be with that individual, to be with those family members that have just watched their loved one get carted off. That I mean, they, they may not know what the future's going to hold. Those first responders that may have worked until 7 or 8 o'clock the night before and then they get, they've had maybe two hours sleep and now they're, they're under lights and siren doing their kind of thing. Live in the spirit of prayer. That's what he's talking about. So be locally aware of what's, what's going on. Do it steadfastly and do it watchfully, okay? Fully aware, as, as aware as you can be. You need to know what's going on in your cul-de-sac. Now, not in a nosy neighbor binoculars kind of way, right? But just in a way that, that you, you know what's happening as people come to you. Be locally aware of what's going on in the neighborhood. Be globally, because if you don't know, how many of y'all know there's road work starting right here in town and the state just didn't bother to mention it to anybody in town? You think that's going to make a mess, right? What do you think that does to your spiritual life? If you pray, you read your Bible, you do all this, that you should do, right? Kind of like the streets. They're in dire need of some improvement. But, but if you don't communicate, if you don't keep that two-way thing open, and you wonder, like, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. Be locally aware. Be globally aware of what's transpiring around the world. Be fully aware of things that, that will affect in some way how we manifest the kingdom of God here on earth. 
that people of Christ are by default a people of prayer. You know, one of our staff values is prayer is our primary strategy. And we don't spend a ton of time praying in the meeting, but one of the things we have to ask is, is prayer more than just the bookends, right? We open up with prayer, we close with prayer. We need to look at our agenda as a staff and if the kinds of things we're talking about in that room could be discussed in any corporate boardroom in America, if we just remove prayer from both ends of it, that is probably not an agenda that deserves the attention of God's people. What is he calling us to do, right? So this, this starts with prayer. It needs to be a regular part of our life. It needs to be a strategic part of our life. And in order for that to happen, it cannot be a paralyzing part of our life. Some of you may be paralyzed by the mere fact of, well, I don't know how to pray. Well, can you talk? Then you can pray. You can talk. Do you, do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus? Yes. Then you can, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and you know what? If you mess it up, he'll just retranslate for you. All right. I've been on five continents. I have said some stupid stuff in English that my translator didn't just translate word for word. He changed it because he knew what really needed to be said. You're thankful for people like that. you got one of those inside of you if you belong to Jesus. His name is the Holy Spirit. So you, you don't have to be paralyzed by fear of praying. You don't have to be paralyzed by thinking God's holding something back from you. I got a lot of questions over the summer about the will of God. People wondering about a job change. People wondering about, you know, whether or not to get married, whether or not it's the right time to have a kid. Listen, you should commit those things to prayer. But prayer is not about unlocking some combination that God's going to reveal to you. Too many people get locked down and paralyzed by that. Well, I'm going to pray about that. Well, I just don't know. And, and then what happens is, they, well, did I miss the will of God? Oh, my gosh, did I marry the wrong person? Oh, goodness, did we wait too long to have kids? Did I take the wrong job? Woulda, coulda, shoulda. God doesn't want you living like that. Do you think a God who allowed his son to be crucified so that you could be set free from sin would want you between now and the time you get to heaven to live tied up in knots like that? He doesn't want that for you. Here's what he wants. He wants you to seek him, not his will, him. You seek him, you get intimate with him, you will find his will. Secondly, 99 times out of 100, you already have his will. Well, I need to pray. When's the last time you picked up a Bible? All right? So you, you, you have his general will expressed to you through his word, the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying God won't ever speak or God won't call you to do this or that. I'm not saying dreams and visions aren't real. I'm not saying all that, all that stuff can happen. But I am saying in most cases we're waiting on something like that when really what God wants is just us to be with him and to seek him. Right? And, and, to, and to be at a level of joy in him such that our heart beats like his. And, you know, if your heart beats like his, you can do what you want. Did you know that? You can do. You don't have to wait on dreams, visions, fleeces, liver shivers, whatever. Like, you, you, you have to wait. You have to wait. This, this is an advantage in biblical history that Moses did not have, the apostles did not have. You don't have to wait on a message in tongues. You don't have to wait until he burns a bush in your backyard. Here it is. Here it is. 
right? This is just amazing stuff. Kevin DeYoung wrote a book called Just Do Something. If you're wondering about this, I would just, I would just commend that to you. Again, I'm not telling you not to seek him and ask him. I'm just saying oftentimes what he wants is just intimacy. And if you're trying to look at like, my prayer is always like trying to figure out what he wants me to do. That's like the discussion I have with the Internal Revenue Service every February. All right, y'all know what this is about. You get all your W-2s together and all your income sources together. And like, if I were gonna have, like, I don't want to talk to the IRS, but if I were gonna gonna have a conversation with the IRS, it would sound something like this: Okay, I got all my my stuff together. How much do I owe? And they say, Well, you have to figure that out. But but you're the internal revenue. Service like you should be able to now. Well, no, you have to figure that out. Okay, so so you don't know. Oh, we we know We know Yeah, but we're not telling you you got to be well, wait a minute like what? Oh, actually Joel you We we saw what you did in eighth grade algebra. You need to hire somebody else to figure this out for you All right, which I have done for the last 20 years, right? I'm not, not too good at math. You need to figure this out. And then, and then comes the million-dollar question. Well, wait a minute. What if I get it? What if I get this wrong? And the IRS says, well, depending on the level of wrong, you might go to prison. Some of y'all treat seeking the will of God like that. Like he's just waiting. And you're like 9 to the right and 17 to the left and 34 to the right. And, and God says, too bad. It was 35 to the right. Right? Your God doesn't act like that. Pray strategically. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Bathe yourself in the Word of God. Make this a strategic part of your life. But a questionable life starts with vigilant, focused prayer. Then comes the second challenge. Paul says, be bold. Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. He wrote this from jail. I forgot to bring that up earlier. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So this is Paul's request that he makes of them, which I find encouraging. Because one of the things I learned on sabbatical is it really is okay. And you guys have ministered to me and my family in incredible ways over these last seven years. Like it's okay for a congregation to pray for their pastor, minister to their pastor. It doesn't all have to be one way. And then you see these examples, and Paul, I need your prayers. I want you to be aware of what's transpiring in my life. I'll share more of that with you as well on the 15th of October. So you can speak to God on my behalf as well. And so here's, here's the picture that he paints for them. I'm going door to door when I'm not in prison. And I am pulling, I'm pushing, I'm shaking, I'm kicking, I'm looking for any opening that I can and any opportunity to make Jesus known because that's who Paul was. God had wired him to be a radical evangelist. And that's kind of the the impression here. Evangelists have to be bold. Some of you have a gift. You're an evangelist. And Ephesians 4.11 tells us God has given you to us as a, as a church body, as a gift, as evangelists with an extraordinary ability, not only to share Jesus with clarity, but to compel other people to come and to share Jesus. Pastor Bob Roberts was with you for a couple of weeks, one of my mentors. I just stand 
in awe sometimes when I watch not only the way he shares Jesus with other people, people in other religions, people on other continents, and I've been there, and I've been in those rooms, and I've heard some of his stories as well, and I go, like, not only can you do that and do that well, but they respond, right? And there can be a, a bitter side in me that rises up that goes, well, why don't they do that with me? No, I've got an opportunity to tell and to share, but man, I've just, you know, you've got those people that they're, they're legit. Like plane takes off, the, the triple seven takes off from Dulles, and by the time it lands at LAX, 50 people have come to know the Lord Jesus. You know, I, I just don't, I don't have that kind of gifting. I, I've shared the gospel many times with a person next to me on an airplane, but I don't, I, don't, I don't have a story where a whole airplane full of people came to Jesus, but there are people like that. We've run into them. They're in our church. Bob's one of those people. There's another guy named Bert that was in one of the churches I serviced when I, I, I lived in Maryland. And about 10 years ago, he called me, and he's like, he'd, he'd only been a believer for a few years, and at that point, but still just fire, like the cold water committee hadn't gotten to him yet to douse him, right? He was just still in love with Jesus. And he said, Brother Joel, I, I, about, you know, I, I've been praying, trying to follow Jesus. I just went door to door. There's this apartment complex right across from my subdivision, and, and I've just been going door to door. And, and he said, in the last two weeks, I, I've seen 14 people confess to know Jesus. They want to come and they want to follow Jesus, and, and hardly any of them have any sort of church background at all, but one of them has actually reserved the community room next Thursday night in the apartment complex to, to meet, and they're going to bring some of their friends that don't know Jesus. And I, I really, I'm just calling to get some advice. Is this the right way to start a church? Yes. Yes. That's how you do it. I said, brother, you are doing just fine. Those people need our encouragement. They need our resources. They need our prayers. And I find some encouragement that Paul considers himself to be one of those people. And he asked the congregation at Colossae to pray for him. What you and I should be praying for every gifted evangelist. Doors to be open to share. Boldness in their witness. Clarity as they speak with people who don't know Jesus. And we need to pray to some degree for that level of boldness in all of us when the time comes and God opens the door for us to speak of our relationship to Jesus. Here's the thing. Most people are not gifted in that way, are they? Yeah. Doesn't mean you don't have a responsibility to share. It just means, again, airplanes full of people are probably not going to come to Jesus. You need to know that's okay. And so the question then that remains is, what about the rest of us who are not the Bob Robertses, who are not the Burts of the world? And even if we're excited to share the story, well, number one, I would tell you, just be excited about being able to share the story. Just be excited about the fact that you get to communicate the greatest message of reconciliation that has ever been given in all of human history. God made you and me the custodian of that. But, but here's the other thing I would tell you. It's what Paul tells us in verse 5. He says, just be intentional, right? You want to be bold, but if you don't have that particular gift, maybe I, I don't, maybe even somebody in my line of work put a guilt trip on you because you didn't go door to door, and you're wondering, what am I supposed to do? Here's the answer. Be intentional. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Notice the tone change between verses 3 and 4 and verses 5 and 7. I mean, you, to me, like I, you would think, 
he would say after asking this congregation, pray for me, pray that I would have boldness, pray that I would have clarity, pray that if there's a door that's stuck, I can kick it down, that he would reciprocate it with, that I, I will pray the same for all of you. But he doesn't do that. I think he realizes that his spiritual grandchildren are not the same as him. I think he realizes that two generations later, they might even do it a little bit different. Wasn't it great to hear Richard Pope? He a little bit different? Did you hear anything other than the unadulterated gospel of Jesus? Thank God for it. That's what Paul's doing. I got this group of people here. I got this. I, what? He, he just says, I need you to walk in wisdom, which literally, if you look at this in the original, just means walk in close proximity to. Walk around. Picture a fixed point around which you gravitate, right? An airplane circling an airport, waiting on air traffic control to tell it it can land. Or in your regular life, just a regular stop. If you're one of those people that you use the same gas station to fill up at all the time, or there's a regular restaurant that you go to always, and there's just people that you know and you've built relationships with, and you, you want to think strategically and leverage those moments as much as you can for the kingdom of God. Paul says, I want those moments to be spent specifically in the presence of outsiders, meaning unbelievers, people who are not Christian. So if Paul were living in 2023, he might express it this way, get out of the bubble. Your life may not, if you are a follower of Jesus and faithful to him, consist exclusively in going to church and Christian concerts and Christian schools and Christian books and Christian fiction and Christian movies. Get out of the bubble. Too many parents think, you know what, if I could just get my little kids or if I get my youth, if I can get them involved in 14 different church programs, everything will turn out okay. I went to public school. My wife went to a private Christian school. Ask her who, who like, you, you want to know about access to drugs, access to pretty much anything? It was pretty much equal. Pretty much equal. I want to keep my... I don't want my kids, I don't want them to, I don't want to engage anything unhealthy. I don't want them to, I don't want them to be influenced unnecessarily. I don't, I don't want them exposed to the world. This is a smartphone. Your kids have got one. They done been exposed. How do you equip them? How do you help them think? How does it be? Paul, Paul, this inspired apostle is saying, actually rubbing elbows with this should be a regular and intentional part of your life. You need to be strategic with your time, be strategic with your speech, be strategic with your life. But to do that, you have to walk among the world in wisdom. See, guys, the fallacy is thinking that all of us have to do evangelism in exactly the same way. And that's simply not true. Most of us won't do it like Paul. Many of us can't do it like Paul. For most of you, there's another calling. And so he says, be strategic. Think about how you spend your life. There's a lot of differences in this room. Some of us have more money than others. Some of us have better health than others. Some of us, you know, some of us, there are, no offense to some of you, and I ain't calling no names, but, but there are people in here that are smarter than you, right? Different brains, 
But there's one great equalizer. And the number is 168. That's how many hours you have in any given week. And you can't add to it and you can't take it away. All of us have exactly the same amount of time. And money won't add to it. Brains won't add to it. A level of health won't add to it. Amy and I have to be very strategic about that. We pastor a church of hundreds of people. We'd love to be everybody's best friend, but we can't. We, we, everybody has kind of their maximum capacity when it comes to relationships. And you have to think, what, what's going to benefit the body of Christ as a whole? What's going to help us to leverage our influence and our time in a way that will best advance the, the kingdom of God? Be strategic with your time. Think through that. Those are some things you need to pray about. But also be questionable. That brings us back to my original point. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt that's just a metaphor say the right thing in the right tone at the right time that's really what that means so that you may know how you ought to answer each person so here's the complementary relationship that he's describing for colossians gifted evangelists on the one hand who just sees every opportunity to boldly like they they do it in a way that if i did it it would come across arrogant and presumptuous but people just respond to it somehow it's like the holy spirit just like a tractor beam gifted evangelists and then over here everybody else whose contribution to the gospel advance is answering the questions of unbelievers talking about their life in a natural way so here's the question What are you doing and how are you living that makes your life questionable? 1 Peter 3.15, we're told to be ready to give an answer to anyone who may ask of us a reason for the hope that is in us. There's an awful lot of presumption in Peter's words there. Chief among them, that we have a hope and that other people can see it. That's what we're talking about, right? Be ready to answer questions people ask. But if we're honest with ourselves, they're probably not asking as often as they might otherwise ask, are they? Why are they not doing that? Well, no one is going to ask you about your faith if your faith doesn't produce something markedly different in you. If if your worries are the same as your neighbors, right? Your aspirations, the way you think about money, you think the same way, you act the same way. I had a conversation three years, about three years ago, and it broke my heart, was with a a young person who was asking for prayer. They were estranged from their grandparents. And I said, what, tell me what's going on. And they said, well, I just, I can't, I can't go over there, pastors. Like, it just, it, it, it just, I, I can't handle the stress from grandma and grandpa. Every time I go over there, they got cable news on in the background, and they're either mad about something or they're afraid of something, and it's all they ever want to talk about. And, pastor, that's why I don't, I, you don't see me much at church anymore. And you know what broke my heart about it? Not two weeks earlier, the grandparents had said, Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know why my grandchildren don't want to talk to me about Jesus. It's because your life makes no discernible difference from the world. 
it, it's because the attitude, the presumption, the fear, the anger, the, it, when you act the same way, you think about money and sex and marriage and life and success in the same way. If your life looks exactly the same as theirs, what would they possibly ask you about? Paul's challenge to the Colossians sets a great example for us to live what would be in the eyes of the world, a freakishly weird life, the kind of life that causes others to ask, who are you? That's what I mean when I say God is calling us as his disciples to live a questionable life. And by the way, this is how the early Christians conquered the Roman Empire, right? We need to take America back. We need to do How? And then you, you hear the strategy, and it's the world's strategy, bordering on the demonic. We need to take, I mean, you don't use demonic activity to take anything back for God. But how did the early Christians do it? They didn't have any weapons. They didn't even have the rights you and I have. You know what they, they didn't, they didn't do boycotts. They did no, they passed out no voter guides. They didn't. They didn't, do it with, they didn't even do it with big events or mass evangelism or literature distribution. Nothing wrong with any of that, but that's not what they did. You know what they did? They did it, hold on, because this, this, this can be hard, okay? They did it by living within the empire such questionable lives that over a period of centuries, they changed the empire. Over the centuries? Yeah, over the centuries. Some of them had to get fed to the lions first. Just saying. But by the 4th century, the emperor Julian, he had a nickname. His name was Julian the Apostate. Became very concerned that there would be a Christian subversion of the, of the Roman Empire. He, was, he had legitimate reason for that concern. He sent word to all the provincial governors. He said, we're going to lose control of our government if we don't stop Christians from what? Marching? Distributing voter guides? No. They feed the hungry. They include everybody. Like when we, you come to us and you're, we don't ask you whether you're a Christian or not. We don't ask you whether you're one of us. You're an image bearer of God. You come and we will feed you. They are hospitable. They tend the graves of the dead who are not part of their religion. They take strangers into their homes. Husbands treat their wives more like sisters and less like property. They treat their household servants not like slaves but like brothers. And Romans came to faith in large numbers because no Roman had ever seen a life like this. By the way, this is a life. This isn't a stand up, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and try harder kind of message. This, brothers and sisters, is the kind of life that can only be produced by the power of the gospel. It can only be produced that way. And no Roman had ever seen anything like it. Every Roman man of means, had at least three women in his wife, his life, a wife to bear him sons, a concubine for more pleasurable sex, and a mistress that he could be seen with in public. People treated their household servants horribly. Women were treated lower sometimes than animals. There was no concern for the poor in fourth century Rome, no sense of hospitality. And then the followers of Jesus came, and they healed the sick, and they built hospitals and schools, and they fed the hungry, and they treated their sisters as equals. And they said, whether you are one of us 
or whether you are Jewish or whether you are pagan or otherwise, you are welcome to come to our table, eat our food and drink our wine, and we will take care of you if you are sick. And when you die, we will tend your grave. And every bit of this was motivated by Christ-centered love that it took a while. Like I say, the first generation got fed to the lions. I'm not promising instantaneous results, but God don't cook instant grits. Amen? He doesn't. This isn't how he operates. It's not how he operates. People have never seen a life like this. What do you think they're going to do? Who are you? What's different about you? You could be a fine, upstanding, middle-class citizen who pays your taxes and waves at your neighbors. You can be a crusader for the latest social cause, conservative or liberal. You can share the latest outrage on social media. None of that's questionable. Everybody in the world behaves that way. Everybody. And without a questionable life, the only thing we've got is gimmicks. And nobody, I got to tell you, in 2023, nobody's impressed by gimmicks anymore. Nobody. Titus 2.10, Paul tells this young pastor, he said, he said, I've got some instructions I want you to give to the people in your congregation. Make sure you say, make sure you tell the old women not to drink so much. Yeah. That's one of those, like, you, you open the Bible and you read that and you go, boy, there's a story behind that, you know? Like, we don't know it, we haven't seen it, but don't do it. Tell the young men to control their lusts. Tell the household servants to stop stealing from their masters. And then he gives the the reason. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So that the people around them would find the life that they're living different, freakishly weird, maybe a little bit scary, but kind of attractive. Now why would those simple shifts make that kind of difference? Apparently because in ancient Rome every old woman was a lash. Apparently, in ancient Rome, every young man let his libido tell him what to do. Every household servant wanted to get one up on the boss man. Like, like there's, there's something different. There's going to be something questionable about you. What's that look like? Michael Frost tells a story about J.R. Patterson. He's a former uh, Southern Baptist church planter, actually. Uh, the denomination sent him to San Francisco, California to plant a church, and I think it took about two years for it to fail. Uh, the majority of new churches still fail. Uh, they don't make it, usually past year five. But he's still living in San Francisco, or at least he was at the time of this story. I don't know if COVID got his business, I don't know, whatever. But he, he was running several years ago this, this business called the Subterranean Shoe Room. See, J.R. loves Jesus, but for a guy, he has a freakishly weird obsession with shoes. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But he loves them. And if you go to the subterranean shoe room, downtown San Francisco, top to bottom, front to back, nothing but shoes of every sort and kind. And right down the middle of that store is this long chaise lounge. And so if you come in, he'll greet you. Glad you're here. You're certainly welcome to peruse. However, if you care to sit with me for a few moments on the Chase Lounge and tell me a little something about yourself, I like to try to figure out if I can find the shoes that are just right for you. Is your curiosity piqued? Mine wouldn't have been. But I, to some people, it, like, like I'm like, 
What kind of shoes are those? They're black. That's, that's, that's all I know. But if I were to walk in, he would probably tell me I need some shoes, you know, one of those guys. So a lot of people will sit on that chaise lounge with him. Sometimes it's just a five-minute conversation, 10-minute conversation. Sometimes it's 45 minutes to an hour. Sometimes they're pouring their heart out to him before it's over with. This is where I was born. Now I, this is how I got to San Francisco. This is what my mom did. This is what my dad did. I'm gay. I'm straight. These are my relationships. And then after when he feels the time is right, he goes, all right, I'll be right back. And in that, in that store full of shoe boxes, he'll bring a box and open it up and say, are these the shoes you're looking for? And, and by his own testimony, he said, it's amazing how many people after that experience will go, those are exactly the shoes I'm looking for. <laughs> I mean, they're just torn up. He said, and he said, I sell a lot of shoes. But he said, I also make a lot of relationships. Because at the register, they're just like, who are you? Like, are you some Buddhist monk or something? Like, what? Who are you? Well, I'm just, I'm just a shoe salesman. But by his own testimony, you know, I, he says, I've been invited to more parties, weddings, bar mitzvahs, and have in those environments spoken to more people about Jesus than I ever did as a pastor. That's a questionable life. How many of you in this room know Salty Cell from Endless Summer Surf Shop? Come on, some of our teens got it. Yeah, you know Salty. Salty been saved a few years, partnered, started partnering with Ocean City Baptist Church, and every Wednesday night during the summer, board rentals are free. You want to learn how to surf? I tried to learn how to surf. I think my wife's got pictures for blackmail later, but no, they will. There's anybody, any age, whatever. You sign a release form, but, but after, after that, yeah, you can go out there, you can hit the waves, and then they gather on the beach after instruction and in surfing, and sometimes it's salty. Sometimes it's the pastor of Ocean City. Somebody, it, it's Sean Davis, my good buddy out there, and they, but, but the gospel is, and they, they just baptize people right there in the Atlantic Ocean. That's a questionable, like that, that's what Paul is encouraging. You, you may never be one of those kind of people that leads a triple seven full of individuals to Jesus, and maybe you felt guilty. Paul is not calling you to be somebody you're not. He is saying, leverage the relationships and the time and the place and everything else that God has given you and live a questionable life. Have a questionable marriage. Run a questionable business. Raise questionable kids. And do it all for the glory of God. Those are the kind of disciples we want to see made right here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and the opportunity after about nine weeks to finally be able to preach it again. I'm so grateful for a church that is driven by it. And I pray in these next few moments that it would take root in our souls. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come, Lord, and, and, and even uninvited into the lives of people, turn them upside down and knock their ideas cuckoo and, and point them in a way that is different, in a way that is honoring to your kingdom, in a way that will change their lives and change it in a way that they will glorify you. Lord, be with us in these moments. And uh, may you be honored and glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.